Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. and better than ever a new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props odds and lines than ever before but online remains your number one spot for the basketball and football action this season head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit just use our promo code bleav 50 to receive your bonus that's believe 50 to receive your bonus in basketball football NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast. As always, thank you so much for being with us and making us the number one sports law podcast in the world. We have a very, very special show for you today. Uh, today is uh, Monday, November 15th, 2021. This is episode 46 of season three. And we have four special guests for the podcast. Kate Sheets, Vice President Legal Counsel of AEG, one of the largest entertainment and uh, sports venue uh, groups uh, in the world. We have Freddie Chujillo, who is the NCAA Compliance Coordinator at UCLA. Uh, dealing with a lot of the NIL issues. Then we have Brandon Briggs, who's Deputy General Counsel of Inter-Miami CF, which is one of the new Major League Soccer um, franchises there. And then we also have Ryan Long, Principal Attorney at Long & Associates, uh, who um, is an expert in intellectual property law. And the show is a part of the Graduate Sport Management course at Cal State Long Beach uh, in uh, a class that I teach there. And uh, the show is focusing on intellectual property and sports law in general. So uh, with that, hope that you enjoy the show and uh, thank you again for listening in. We have a, a very special uh, panel here for, um, uh, for us today. We have Kate Sheets, who uh, has the San Diego uh, Padres gear on today. She's really, <laughs> really doing it up. I love it. Um, she is a uh, vice president and uh, legal counsel at AEG, which is probably one of the largest uh, sort of sports entertainment companies in the world when it comes to venues and investments in sports. Um, and then, uh, Kate, you're based out of um, out of L.A., right? And then working right. mostly out of uh, out of uh, downtown, right? That's right. Uh, our corporate headquarters are at LA Live, right across from Staples Center. So, despite my gear to the contrary, I am based in Los Angeles. Go Bruins, by the way. I love it. Yes, go Bruins. <laughs> uh, then we have uh, Freddie Trujillo, who is uh, another friend, and um, we both went to the same law school together. He's now at UCLA. He is the NCAA compliance coordinator at uh, UCLA. And uh, what's the what's the ranking of UCLA as a public institution, Freddie? Is that, uh, I think, is that I number, think number one? one? I, oh yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, <laughs> I love it. No, thanks for being here on a game night. Yeah, um, then we me. have uh, Brandon Briggs, who's Deputy General Counsel at uh, Inter Miami um, CF, which is a brand new uh, soccer club um, down in Miami for for the MLS. And uh, so obviously on East Coast time. So we'll try to get everybody out of here in uh, the next hour. Yeah, if you see a couple of yawns, just bear with me. <laughs> we got you. And then we've got uh, Ryan Long, who's based. Uh, Ryan, you're in Santa Monica, right? Yeah, that's my office. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, he's principal attorney at Long and Associates, uh, deals a lot with intellectual property. And so today we're talking about uh, intellectual property and sports and Kind of the sports industry in general. So, Kate, let's start with you. Maybe a little bit on your background, um, how you got into sports, and then you know what you're currently doing um, with with AEG. 
Sure. So I know, Jeremy, you've heard this um, heard the stories many times, but I uh, born and raised in Chicago. I went to college in San Diego and uh, went to law school at UCLA. And so very excited about the up and coming basketball season. I started my career in mergers and acquisitions. So I, I'm an M&A transactional securities lawyer by trade. I, I did sort of know from the beginning that I wanted to go into business law. I knew I always wanted to be on that side of the aisle. And so wanted to get, you know, sort of cut my teeth on the corporate side before ultimately going in-house. So I think I, I sort of had that vision from the beginning of wanting to get the big law training and then end up in-house. Um, I spent about three years at Foley and Lardner based in Los Angeles. It's an international law firm uh, headquartered in, in Milwaukee. And then mostly worked with venture capital backed kind of small to middle market M&A. Uh, but got after getting my experience there, I was starting to think about doing something else and moving on to sort of bigger deals, public company deals. And towards the end of my tenure, at Foley, uh, had my first break into sports, which was sort of literally dropping into the acquisition of the Dodgers in 2012. Foley represented Guggenheim when they acquired the Dodgers uh, from McCourt. And so that, when I, I, I really, and when I say fall into it, I was the, I was one of the only associates in the office late one night when the partners flew in from New York to close the deal. And so um, got an email from the managing partner in LA and said, hey, guess what? You're available. <laughs> And didn't sleep much for the next five days and um, was able to close, which at the time which was the largest transaction in sports. And that, that was really cool. And it made me realize, wow, like I can do this for a living. This is awesome. Because I always thought being a sports lawyer meant you were an agent and I didn't really have an interest in being an agent. And so started to really pursue opportunities that would allow me to work on sports transactions full time. I couldn't get that experience at Foley being in Los Angeles. So started searching around different law firms and found Proskauer Rose which is based out of New York and is known um, known pretty widely for their representation in the sports space, particularly in the labor space. We They represented most of the major sports leagues at the time. I uh, was lucky enough to get a job there and worked out of their LA office, again, with their mergers and acquisitions group. And did, got a ton of great experience doing public company work, got zero sports experience, <laughs> didn't do any sports work. Um, and so I, I did try to make a point though of working on building relationships while I was there. So I would fly to New York half a dozen times a year. I would make sure I worked with the, the sports attorneys who usually worked in sports and M&A um, so that I could kind of be friends with them. They got to know me. And then one day I was, it was a Sunday, I was home and I was mad because I was, it was a Sunday and I was home working on a, some SEC comment letter or something. And I got an email from an attorney in New York at Proskauer who said, Hey, I heard about this job for somebody about your experience level in Los Angeles, a company called AEG. I'm not sure if you've heard of them. And embarrassingly, I had not. But, you know, not a lot of people know AEG, but most people know Staples Center and they know LA Live and, and they know Coachella and Stagecoach. And, and so when I started to look them up, I thought, wow, like this isn't my shot. I don't know what is. Um, AEG also owns the Kings and the Galaxy. So I, I would, it gave me the opportunity to break into sports specifically um, but venue management and entertainment generally. And so took that opportunity. It's been five and a half years now. And um, it's been a wild ride ever since. You get, you get sort of a master's degree in sports and entertainment. We do anything and everything. Uh, I manage sort of any and all commercial contracts um, that govern our venue and team business. Um, about 80% of what I do is, is global partnerships. So if we're talking about IP licensing and sort of brand management, I, I manage a, most of that side of the house for our global partnerships group. And um, it's, it's, been a, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. It's, it's really changed the way that I, I view sports and, and events. So um, I'm excited to be here today. Thanks for including me, Jeremy. No, anytime, Kate. Always, and always great to see you. Um, so Freddie, uh, let's move to you. What's your... What's your background? How did you how did you end up at UCLA, and uh, and what are you working on now? Thanks, Jeremy, and uh, appreciate being here as well, Kate. Uh, don't have quite as much as experience as you do, but you know, as Jeremy mentioned, him and I did go to the same law school. Uh, starting back, I, I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I moved to San Diego to go to San Diego State University, where I was also uh, on the football team there. Uh, after I graduated, I did work in a nonprofit area for, for a couple of years before deciding to go to law school. Uh, you know, went through law school, graduated, and uh, really found an interest in athletic compliance and specifically, you know, collegiate athletics. Uh, I was lucky enough to intern at San Diego State. Uh, you know, a lot of my coaches were still there, so they gave me the opportunity. 
And it's kind of just grown from there. So I was at San Diego State for about two years throughout law school. And then as soon as I graduated with law school, I had an opportunity to join uh, UC San Diego. I was there for only nine months uh, before I was offered the opportunity to join UCLA. So for me, it was a kind of a, a weird transition because I did get the job at UCLA at the beginning of pandemic. So I was actually hired the first week that we were in a shutdown. So for me, the first entire year working at UCLA was the same thing we're doing here, kind of behind the screen, trying to build relationships, you know, trying to gain coaches trust, and at the same time, navigating and learning the department, which as you know, some of you may or may not know, is not the easiest thing, you know, going from, you know, different jobs and different fields. Uh, and specifically with NCAA compliance, there's a lot of just best practices when it comes to specific areas of compliance uh, and the way that certain departments do things. And so for me, it was a lot of shadowing, a lot of, you know, phone call conversations, Zoom conversations, just building that relationship within the, the department. And now that we're back hitting the ground running, it's it's been really great to, you know, actually get that face-to-face -face time with my coaches, with my student athletes, like I said. But, um, you know, my experience is just kind of now starting to pick up. I've been at UCLA for about a year and a half now. So just still gaining as much knowledge as I can with, you know, my colleagues and, and networking and doing as much as I can. So uh, it's really great to be here. Appreciate all of y'all having me. Oh, thanks, Freddie. Thank you. Um, so uh, let's move to you, Brandon. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, your background and you look like you worked for the Dolphins. You're now with uh, this brand new MLS team, which is really exciting. Uh, sort of tell us a little about your background and, and what you're working on now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I did my undergrad at LSU. Um, so uh, I don't appreciate all the UCLA comments. We're having a rough year. Um, so I did. I did my, uh, my undergrad at LSU, uh, majored in sport administration, and uh, really just when I stepped on campus, I knew I had an opportunity to really just get a lot of experience at being one of the bigger athletic departments in the country. And I uh, was able to get a lot of experience from a number of different departments, uh, pretty much everything except for media and, uh, and compliance at LSU. So operations, ticketing, marketing. Uh, facilities, a lot of a lot of great experience while I was there. I was able to get involved um, within student government as a student representative for the athletic department as well, and got on a couple boards with the athletic director and very important people that I had no business sitting at a table with. But it was great learning experience and really just kind of understanding how uh, how athletic departments run and how leaders make informed decisions, even in tough times. So that was really uh, that was really great. I, I uh, interned with the Final Four. Um, my last semester in college in New Orleans when Kentucky won it. Uh, so that was, that was a great experience as well. I was able to kind of pick the brain of some of the folks at the NCAA, the top there, especially the, the head of the competition committee at the time, and really convinced me that, that law school was the right way to go to, to, to really establish uh, a career and set myself up uh, for success in sports. And so I went down to the University of Miami, and again, kind of try to take that same standpoint of get as much experience as possible so I can have some sort of idea what to do once I graduate. And got externed with the UM athletic department um, right after the, the, the big UM Shapiro scandal. So that was a very interesting time to be in a college athletic compliance department. But I learned a lot. Uh, you know, some of the growing pains that, that, uh, that I'm sure uh, Frederick sees all the time. Uh, I've ex experienced a lot of that at UM, so that was, that was great, and, and got an opportunity my last semester to actually intern with the Dolphins. They were in between general counsels, and there was a lot of work to be done um, by only, you know, one lawyer that was there at the time, so I was able to come in and uh, work really hard and provide some sort of value uh, at, at the time, and eventually, uh, due to the amount of work and, and the fact that I, I did all the stuff that, that all the other lawyers hated to do, finally got an offer. Uh, to, to stick on with the team. So I was there for six and a half years in a number of different roles, picking up, you know, additional roles and responsibilities along my way and uh, including Formula One and working heavily on that project and bringing it to Miami and then got the call, got an, as an opportunity to really run the day-to-day -day legal operations here for, for a brand new club and be, uh, be part of the, the, the very beginning of it and forming it the right way. So been here about three months um, with, our, with our new CBO and really, working to, uh, to fix some of the issues in the past uh, that the club had very publicly in its first year and, 
we're working to, to really establish it for uh, success down the road. Oh, thanks, Brandon. And uh, extra appreciation for being here East Coast time, man. We know it's late uh, for you there with 9, uh, nine not with 9, 16 p.m. or whatever, but um, no, thanks Happy to do for it. being here. Um, and then last, but of course not least, is uh, our friend Ryan Long. And uh, Ryan uh, is the principal attorney at Long and Associates. And then also, I didn't know this, but uh, you're also uh, a non-residential fellow at uh, the Center for Internet and Society at Stanford Law School. So, um, so kudos to you. I think that's fantastic. I'd love to hear more about that. But Ryan, a little bit about your background and then uh, what you're working on now uh, you know, in, in your practice. Uh, yeah, so um, let me think here. Um, I basically was a philosophy major at Chicago, uh, and then I thought to myself, I don't want to sit in an academic kind of ivory tower and do philosophy. Not that that's bad, but I thought, how can I leverage my skill set? You know, there's some undergrad folks obviously listening, so I'm like, you know, trying to give you some information that be relevant for you. Um, and I thought to myself, how can I leverage my skill set in that world into a more practical setting? And law school was a choice. And New Orleans, I went to Tulane Law School, uh, which is uh, a cousin of LSU, I guess, in some ways. Uh, and um, practice antitrust law. I was on the uh, Intellectual Property Journal uh, at Tulane Law School and practiced antitrust and securities law in New York City at a big law firm for about two years. Worked at two other firms doing antitrust and securities litigation after that. And then I kind of got a bug in my head um, and said, hey, I like working with entrepreneurs. I grew up around a lot of musicians in LA and uh, a lot of entrepreneurs and I miss working with those types of folks. So I launched my practice in 2016 at one of the first, actually 2006, I think it was, at one of the first co-working spaces. Um, it was like a mini WeWork, one of the first to come out. And um, Started hustling business. I worked with Def Jam artists. Uh, I represented the guy that did the theme music for Mad Men. Um, and then um, I got to be more into tech as media kind of merged more with tech. And I became a fellow at Stanford and started writing about artificial intelligence and blockchain and uh, working with companies like that. And um, I think one of the most influential people I've ever met uh, was actually an opponent of mine in a case. And he was the manager for Miles Davis, and he was also his attorney. And uh, he had a thick New York accent. I don't even try to mimic it, but he was one of the best attorneys I ever dealt with. And he uh, basically uh, did a really good job at pushing down some numbers uh, because he had some information on my client that I didn't know about. And he actually referred me business um, afterwards, a big um, estate out of Jamaica uh, for a reggae artist. So. I found that sometimes my opponents refer me business because they respect the way I operate. And that's one of the biggest compliments you can get is have somebody that you go up against for a number of years or however long it is. And then they turn around and say, Hey, I have a client that I need some help in this area and some of my expertise. So that's kind of a brief synopsis of uh, how I got to where I am now. And now I work on kind of tech media cases uh, right now. I have a case regarding advertising clicks in New York, so kind of like commercial slash media slash tech cases. I'm a wannabe basketball player, um, like five, six on a good day. So I've always wanted to be a professional athlete, but uh, there's no, no way. So um, this is my close kind of like, uh, um, you know, close, close to it as being a part of this uh, presentation. <laughs> I love it. No, well, thanks, Ryan, for being here. And uh uh, a pleasure to, to know uh, each of you and for all of you to be here and to share your knowledge. Uh, so, Ryan, I'm actually going to stick with you on this next question. And uh, it's sort of a general question, um, but sort of what is what is intellectual property? You know, we've got basically, what, 40, uh, 45, you know, 40 something students in this class. I think there's 50 total, but we've got a, a, a few absences tonight because we've got uh, folks that travel for golf and other sports teams for the school, right? But um, what is intellectual property? I mean, this is a graduate sport management class. Not It's not law students, but I don't know. Could you break it down for us? What types are there? Like, yeah, let's start there. 
So um, this is kind of an elevator pitch and not a, you know, kind of in-depth analysis of intellectual property. Uh, from that kind of bird's eye view, um, intellectual property, you have trademark, you have copyright, you have patent, you have trade secret and right of publicity. Uh, now, trademark is uh, the Nike logo, uh, what uh, Kate is wearing for her team, uh, the, the Padres. Uh, trademark is anything that represents your business or a symbol. Uh, the name Nike, the, the swoosh, uh, those are kind of um, using commerce to represent a company. Um, and then copyright is expression, you know, a poem, a book, a copy, uh, it includes code. I think for, um, you know, um, technically a football play could be copyrightable. So intellectual property, just to back up, is a, an umbrella are creations of the mind, are creations of people, and they, they manifest themselves or they cre they're created outside the person. So whether or not as a trademark, uh, as a writing, so we talked about trademark, copyright. Um, so copyright are songs. Um, and for you all, for sports, uh, it's probably not as important, uh, but like software, if LeBron James writes some software, that could be potentially copyrightable. Uh, trade secret, um, you know, I go work at UCLA and they have some proprietary uh, uh, strategies. Uh, Frederick shares with me and says, hey, this isn't public. This has been passed down from John Wooden or what have you. He has me sign something uh, so you can have a contractual kind of like obligation to keep things secret. There's also state and federal trade secret law to keep things uh, on the hush hush, if you will. Uh, right of publicity is probably the most applicable for you all in this class because it's so big right now. Um, there are a lot of players who are being featured in video games and they don't get permission. And, you know, video folks are like, I didn't know I needed to get his permission to have LeBron James in my video game. And so, you know, traditionally you do. So you actually have a right of publicity to your image. And if somebody uses the image without telling you in a commercial setting, um, there are laws against that. Um, I think I covered all those, but so just to back up, yeah, intellectual property, those are some of the species of intellectual property. Uh, and I don't think I covered all of them, uh, but those are kind of the like big ones. And uh, they're important to, for a business, um, also for athletes, for the right of publicity. Uh, there's also right of publicity in a name, excuse me, in a voice. So if uh, LeBron, Mr. Uh, Mr. James, uh, records something, uh, somebody uses his voice and goes and says, hey, come to Jeremy, uh, LeBron James even goes and you have a plug from Le LeBron James and he says, yeah, Jeremy's a great lawyer. He represented me doing blah, blah, blah like some, you know, avatar of like LeBron James, like, right. Like that's an infringement of his right of publicity, uh, not only with respect to his voice, but also potentially his image. So these are very important issues that are coming up in sports law as technology gets more and more advanced and easier to copy things and all this facial recognition, excuse me, this artificial intelligence technology blossoms on uh, Facebook, excuse me, Meta. So that's a very quick, very, very quick, overview of IP, and I don't mean to, you know, uh, cheapen it, but uh, this is just uh, kind of like a table talk, so. No, well, thanks, Ryan. That was fantastic. Um, very good overview. And then I'm going to take that sort of uh, oh, with patents, that knowledge. by the way. I miss uh, patents. That's Sorry. right. Yeah, I miss patents. So I, I can, we can talk about that later, but uh, I mean, that's one I missed. Sorry. No, no, go, go over that one really quick, because I think that's important, because I can, that gives us like a full Okay, so, so patents, I think for sports folks, actually, it's helpful because I did a presentation recently and uh, there were some folks creating like this bed that helps football players uh, with their injuries and it's a contraption. So like patent applies to uh, machinery, uh, uh, things that you create in the real world that have a functional aspect to them that aren't generally copyrightable. So if you create like a special bed for a football player, or if you create like a contraption for baseball, which I sucked at, but I love, uh, like to throw balls at a player, you know, curveball, split finger, uh, sinker. Like if you have some like robot that does that, like, you know, kind of like a robotic version of Nolan Ryan, like that could be potentially uh, patentable. So patents, the other thing I forgot to mention, so. No, well, thanks, Ryan. So we got trademarks, copyrights, patents, and trade secrets. So Kate, in the, I'll go to you on this next question. So in the practical sense, 
Um, and then Brandon, I'll go to you after Kate. Uh, how does how does AEG protect intellectual property? I mean, and, and where does this come up in, in your practice? Obviously contracts, this sort of thing, litigation, but maybe give us a, a flavor of that. Sure. So I think uh, off the top of my head, there are a few buckets, you know, certainly with the work I do on a daily basis with, with brand partners, um, protection of marks is, is critical and paramount. And so both sides have an interest in retaining the power of your individual brand, retaining the ownership of your individual brand, but also making sure that everybody is promoting it in a, in a proper and licensed approved way. So usually you handle that through contract. So if we have a large partner, global partnership with American Express, you know, we want to make sure that Amex has the right and license to hold itself out as an official partner of AEG. Um, they are going to use our logos and our marks to promote themselves in that way. And conversely, for us to be able to promote Amex on our properties, you, if you guys have been to Staples Center or LA Live, you see Amex signage all over the place. If you go to Coachella, you see that. Um, we do all of that with Amex's permission. And so it, it it's it's sort of simple in concept contractually, uh, but you want to make sure that the rules are sort of very clear as to who who can do what with what and when and how. Most brands will um, sort of protect themselves by creating a very strict set of guidelines. It's just like a book with their colorways and their logos and their sizing. And they tell you, you can't mess with the logo in this sort of way. So that that's kind of like the day-to-day -day stuff we deal with all the time. Um, Another part of it is is obviously with with player likenesses um, with with our clubs there. We do a lot of endorsement deals. And so uh, there are a handful of players where we own their marketing rights. Um, Jonah Dos Santos and Gia Dos Santos are, are two examples. We had limited rights with Zlatan Ibrahimovic when he was on the team for a while. Um, and certainly with with a number of players on the Kings, I just did something with Alex Ufalo to do like a surfing video. And so you have to um, sign, be very careful about I think one of the specific examples that I think we always get caught up in is with the Galaxy. When you're doing a endorsement deal for Jonah Dos Santos, it's with him, the individual, and not with him as a member of the Galaxy, because we are, he is doing this deal to promote 1800 tequila, um, but he's doing that in his individual capacity. He's not doing that as, so you're not, you have to make sure you're licensing his likeness rights, but not the team likeness rights or the Mexican national football team rights, right? Cause he, that's, that's another club that he's a part of. So you do have to kind of think in bits and pieces about what rights you're giving and to whom, because with the galaxy, for example, MLS owns those rights. We are sort of the sole licensee to be able to send those out to our partners. Um, but you want to make sure that you're kind of protecting it each individual bucket. Um, and I think you had brought up, you know, there's a, a lot of, we deal with this with licensing image, imagery for video games. Um, I know with FIFA, for example, when they come in and want to film our building, we have to get uh, consent rights from the individual players, also from our sponsors in the building because their signage appears in, in, in the building. This happens when we people film a lot of movies and commercials on our properties. Um, so making sure that we protect any, any logos that are on site. Um, and then I think uh, the other thing that we deal a lot with is on social media. Um, we have to be really careful. And, and it seems like we're constantly dealing with this. And Brandon, I'm sure you can relate with like the team's social channels, making sure that you're using properly licensed music or, um, you know, you're not ripping some meme off of Twitter and reposting it and it's not yours, you know, like everybody thinks it's funny, but then you get a call from some lawyer saying that you're misusing content. And so the best story that I have about that was we had a, we had a compilation video in, in Staples Center after the Kings scored a goal. And they just did this great, like it was a big montage of people cheering and funny stuff. And one of the, one of the clips was of a llama literally hopping around. Well, apparently we did not clear that clip. So I got a call from a media company conglomerate that held a bunch of this stuff telling me, hey, thankfully I knew the guy. And he like did me a solid and called me and said, hey, I don't want to be a jerk, but like that's our video. And he, he was at the game and saw it. Um, so that I mean, that kind of stuff is very real. And we have we have fought a lot of battles about using content that doesn't belong to us. And I think the biggest source of issue is really just what you can pull down from the Internet. Um, so I think those are kind of some practical real world examples of things that we deal with. Oh, well, thanks, Kate. And then Brandon to you. Uh, and then don't worry, Freddie, I haven't forgot about you. I'll get to you too. Um, but uh, Brandon, do you have a similar experience? I mean, obviously you guys kind of had this whole branding experience uh, in building the club. 
uh, and what do you call yourself and reserving trademarks. You don't want to end up like the Cleveland Indians who wanted to be called become the Cleveland Guardians. And then now they're in an IP dispute with, uh, I think it's the roller derby team who's, <laughs> who's there in Cleveland. Um, but what are some of the things that you come across uh, in your role? I think inherently um, to, to what some of, my, some of the you know other folks on the panel said that when you're a, when you're a big brand, uh, people like to use it. Uh, and in today's social media age, uh, they think it's pretty normal to just go ahead and copy and paste a GIF, an image, a picture, whether it's of our logo, of our team, of our owner, etc. Um, and uh, and there's even you know big big uh, you know libraries of it that you can that you can easily do it from your phone. Uh, and if you look at those very closely, you can do them as a person, um, but you certainly can't do them as a company uh, and use them for uh, commercial purposes. So I think, uh, you know, we'll, we'll deal with uh, with issues from time to time of people creating a beer that looks eerily similar to our uh, to our logo. Um, you know, and I, I think we have we have some pretty detailed um, guidelines, as, as Kate said, for our sponsors as well. Nice. I believe it's like a 90-page document of uh, of all the all the ways to use our logo for sponsors that have those rights and all the ways not to. So it's very particular um, in that sense and and very uh, you know particular for for our brand and our logo recognition, but also for what we have protections and in, in, uh, under under uh, IP law as well. To to kind of what Ryan's point was saying of uh, whether it's uh, here in the states or or abroad. Wow. No, well, thanks, Brandon. Um, was that process and coming up with a name? Was that uh, were you involved in any of that, or sort of was that was that pretty difficult? No, I don't get any of the credit for the really cool name and logo. <laughs> um, I, I, I've just been on about three months now, so I, I was down here in South Florida, kind of when it all started, and I thought it was actually pretty remarkable that I saw people all over the place wearing Inter Miami shirts and hats before there was even a team that existed, which was pretty unique to me. Um, I thought I thought they they clearly did something right to start building that brand, um, yeah. but it's uh, it's fun to be on the other side of it. No, that's you know I've always I've always looked up to and respected the the South uh, Florida teams. I mean, you guys have always done a fantastic job with the branding. Uh, you know, look at the Dolphins. If you look at uh, um, uh, the you know the the Heat. I mean, obviously now with the MLS team, uh, I love the sort of the 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 homage to uh, the pink and the Miami vice. I mean, it's just, to me, it's fantastic, but, um, but thanks again. So, all right, Freddie, let's go to you and let's change gears a little bit. I mean, obviously UCLA is in, is interested in protecting its marks, but I want to change gears a little bit and talk about the name image and likeness sort of piece. Right. And um, what does that look like for you? Cause obviously name image and likeness, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, but it's nothing more than rights of publicity. It's basically taking sort of name, image, and likeness of somebody and, um, and sort of selling it, you know, for a profit. And it just so happens that uh, at college athletes can do that now. Um, so what does that look like for you on a practical side of uh, compliance and sort of dealing with, with some of those issues at UCLA? So, you know, as most of you probably already do know, name, image, likeness was something that uh, you know, student athletes were not previously allowed to profit off of um, back in July of this year. Actually, it actually was opened up and now student athletes are able to profit off that. So for us, in the practical sense, there is really just uh, a lot of monitoring that goes into it. So we've personally um, connected with Compass NIL, which you've probably heard of Influencer. There's also Compass. A lot of schools are making these deals with these um, systems that kind of do the monitoring for them. Uh, and uh, for us, it's just about disclosing. So there's no actual uh, approval that goes into it. It's just about making sure that the student athlete does make that disclosure onto the Compass NIL website. If there's anything involved as far as long-term commitments. So if it's not just, hey, you know, post this on your Instagram feed or post this on your Twitter one time, then the student athlete does actually have to follow up with a, an employment document because there are rules regarding student athletes employment. And if it is going to be continuous and ongoing, then that's something that we do have to go the extra step in monitoring um, to make sure that, you know, it hits a couple different elements, you know, 
uh, fair market value, that they're actually being compensated for the work that they perform, um, that there's no booster involvement, uh, and so on and so forth. There's a couple other things there, but uh, specifically for the NIL deals, uh, there really isn't too much that the institution can say as far as what a student athlete can or cannot do. Uh, most of our work goes towards the education aspect, uh, making sure that they're aware of, like Ryan was saying, uh, the institutional marks that are protected. Uh, for example, student athletes cannot make deals uh, that involve them wearing any of the UCLA shirts, right? So they can't wear anything that's branded. They can't use any of the marks. They can't use any of the slogans in any of their deals that they're making, um, but they can use their name, image, and likeness. So they can post a picture with themselves. They can, you know, use any kind of the voice that tags behind it um, and in everything regarding in, in that area. Uh, but for me, you know, it's, it's really interesting because uh, we, we try to promote student athletes as much as we can. And we try to give them these opportunities but I'll give you an example. There was one opportunity that we had a student athlete bring to us uh, that involved him flying to New York to do something with Tom Brady. Uh, now you'd think, all right, that's fine. We can do this. But the one caveat is he was an international student. And if you know how visas work, international students aren't permitted to be employed under the student visa that they have. So we had to go the extra mile into making sure that he understood that if he wanted to do this, you know, it's a risk that he could take. He can go do it, but he might have, you know, somebody calling his phone asking about whether or not he's, you know, actually permitted to stay in the country after he does that deal. Uh, so th there are some areas where we do have to go the extra step to, you know, vet some of the, the, the potential opportunities that student athletes have. But for the most part, and especially here in California, uh, students are able to, you know, take advantage of their name, image, likeness now and promote themselves in any number of ways that they feel, you know, are, are beneficial to them in the long term. Right. It's it's a wide open field, man. And I'm sure many people have been seeing deals made all over the country for themselves, for individuals, for their whole team. I know, you know, San Diego State, their offensive line has a deal with a steak uh, restaurant, I think, where they get fed once a week or twice a week. Um, and that's happening everywhere. So it's it's a, kind of the Wild West, to put it pretty uh, generally. So, Freddie, you didn't know that this was sponsored by uh, a seafood restaurant. We're gonna we're gonna get some we're gonna get some free dinner out of this. <laughs> you send me all the clam chowder you like, man. <laughs> Love it, man. Um, you know, and it's interesting too because I thought the Pac-12 did something very um, very cool when uh, I saw I read an article that um, Pac-12 had given the players uh, basically access to video clips. So when they want to do NIL stuff, they're allowed to um, sort of use uh, some of the footage, right? Wasn't yes. that good? Yeah. Very, I was going to say, yeah, actually very limited, very limited. But yeah, they do have a bank that, you know, student athletes are, they you know, have a clip in there that they can go pull that from there. But that's another thing that they can't use any game footage. I know it's written into our policy that, uh, you know, UCLA student athletes can't use any game footage from that we own you know, as a university, but uh, Pac-12 did open it up in a limited aspect. Right. And then like with the California Fair Play to Fair Pay to Play Act, um, which was the first NIL legislation in the country, um, at least to be drafted and signed into law. And then I think other states basically came online uh, earlier, like, you know, Florida was one of them. Um, but it's interesting because you're right, because the schools are basically in a compliance mode and the athletes do what they want sort of off the field, right? But I think one of the interesting things in that California Fair Pay to Play Act was that there's no prohibitions on signing deals other than it can't conflict with the underlying university. So I'm curious as to, and you don't have to answer this question, but I think, think something that I always think about is, well, you know, UCLA sponsored by Nike. And then I think the football and basketball team have the Jordan uh, brand as well. And so I'm like, well, what happens if student athlete, you know, wants to wear Adidas? Um, well, obviously you can't do that on the field because it's a branded, you know, situation. But I'm always like, man, what if he tried to sign a deal off the field and was like, oh, I'm wearing my, you know, my Reeboks or whatever, you know? I'm just kind of curious how that would play out. And you don't have to answer it, but it's just something that I've, I've thought about. 
No, I, I mean, you're not the only one. Uh, we were drafting a document that was going to require student athletes transfers, uh, you know, transfers specifically to disclose any of those types of deals that they had entered into uh, to ensure that there was none, no conflict before they got to the university. Uh, you know, after great discussion, we finally came to the agreement that it may have been a little bit too early uh, to, you know, put forth that kind of document, um, not only because we haven't run into those situations where, you know, you have somebody that's so big to garner a deal with uh, an Adidas, to garner a deal with, you know, a Nike that would be in direct conflict with the school that they're entering into, um, but also because, uh, you know, we didn't have anything already written out. To, you know what the repercussions would be with if those deals did actually take place so we kind of put that one in our back pocket for now uh, it's not off the table but you know as you can see it's just in some of the examples of nil deals around the country that isn't really something that's taking place quite yet um you know who knows when the next zion williamson is going to come around and you know he's going to be uh you know have that much of uh, uh notoriety to be able to garner such deal um, but at this point, I think that's something, you know, on every compliance administrator's mind, you know, what's going to happen when we do have, you know, somebody come in that's wearing uh, Under Armour, in our right. case, you know, <laughs> we just signed this huge, you know, Nike deal. So it's TBD on that one. Right. No, no, well said. Um, and thanks for sharing that, Freddie. So, Ryan, I'm going to go back to you and then I'll go to you, uh, Kate, and then uh, back to you, Brandon. Um, so... Ryan, talk to us a little bit about sort of how do you protect intellectual property? And then maybe like, what are some common claims that come up for like infringement? So, uh, you know, there's registration for copyright, trademark, uh, right of publicity, uh, generally speaking, that's an animal of state law. Um, trade secret, uh, that's generally also an animal of state law. There might be some federal law regarding that. Uh, but um, patent registration. So these are registration things. Um, I think the big thing that um, Frederick talked about a little bit, and I'm not a sports lawyer, but this deals with licensing uh, and Kate can probably touch upon this, but like scope of license and, you know, what are your obligations? A big part of infringement cases are like, hey, you can use this mark in this geographical scope. And then someone will use it beyond that scope or, or uh, the mark will be licensed only for non like a non-commercial use or let's say only the collegiate market. And then somebody will start doing stuff like, you know, um, Def Jam or like, you know, going to some like professional outlet and using the mark in a non-collegiate setting. So a lot of the infringement cases I've seen are just kind of like enforcing the meets and bounds of these licensing agreements. Uh, sometimes you have a you you have infringement cases where there is like a likelihood of confusion. Like you'll come out, and this is a real you know this this happens, guys. But I've had folks come to me and say, "Hey, um, not this exact example, but hey, I started a brand uh, called Mikey, and for some reason I'm getting a cease and desist by Nike." I'm like, uh, "Okay, so you know I've had." Things like that. You have infringement cases where you pick something as a brand name and it's too close to something that exists. I've seen that a lot. People usually don't want to pay for a trademark search or a trademark attorney. So they go and invest money uh, in a brand and then it kind of like backfires because they pick Mikey. I'm, you know, I'm being facetious. So it would, I've never seen anything that obvious, but sometimes it's pretty obvious. Um, and uh, so those are the infringement cases. Um, you, usually it's beyond the license agreement or it's an infringing use uh, or it's an infringing use beyond the license or people are picking brands or brand names that are confusingly similar to an existing name. Um, so those are kind of like the, that's a quick summary of what I've seen. Oh, thanks, Ryan. Um... And then Kate, so, you know, going back to you, um, what are some of like the things that, I mean, obviously internally, we talked a little bit about protecting the brand, that sort of thing, but what are some of the things that you come across like an external way that do you see people trying to use the King's logo? Do they try to do different things that you kind of have to regulate some of that stuff? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it happens fairly frequently. You know, we have, as is probably obvious, association with our brand is a very valuable thing and something that we hold very closely to us. And so if you're going to associate yourself with us and you don't have, you haven't paid for that privilege, uh, you know, we are, we're going to come down on that pretty strongly. Personally, you know, sometimes once in a while we see people trying to you know, host a King's watch party and they're, you know, using logos or something. And, and certainly some of it is a, is a practical internal decision of, okay, cost benefit analysis, is it really worth going after this bar or these people or, you know, um, but we had a, a couple of examples, one small and one big. I, we actually, there was a motel near Staples Center that called itself Staple Center Inn. And, you know, it, it, we went, we went after these guys for years, apparently. And I, when I joined the company, I thought this is, this is kind of messed up. And so uh, we, you know, it was a lot of cease and desist letters and I, we got lucky when I joined because it was me and our paralegal and we started going after them and they had new management. And so thankfully they were like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, well, you know, as if they didn't realize there was a problem. Um, but things like that, you know, I like Ryan, you mentioned Mikey, it was a little bit like that. You know, these guys were clearly using their name to advertise themselves as, as somebody that was associated with our building. Um, and that was just not going to work. And, and But more commonly, this happens all the time with Coachella. And so a lot, it, as you can imagine, you know, being such a popular, iconic event, a lot of brands will falsely associate themselves with Coachella in the marketplace, particularly around things like travel or fashion or um any anything related food you know get your get your coachella outfit here or get your you know book your coachella weekend experience here and so um, our attorneys on the live entertainment side especially in the ramp up to to the festival are sending cease and desist letters all the time uh, because a lot of people do try to associate themselves with the event just to drum up business because they figure that, you know, if they, if they make this kind of indirect association, that, 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 that will be good for them. So it certainly, it doesn't happen a whole lot on the AEG level, of course, but certainly with respect to the teams. Um, also the, the last thing I've dealt with over the last few years and Brandon, I don't know if you have, but it's kind of, it's unfortunate. There's a scam out there where a lot of people um, hold themselves out as professional scouts and say that they can, you know, obtain a, a tryout with the team and they hold themselves out as a member of the galaxy, for example, and they, or, or some other MLS club and that they, they promise a tryout with the team in exchange for a fee. Um, and they send the classic, you know, emails with the punctuation messed up and the spelling wrong. And, but people do get sucked in because, you know, if you're a 15 year old kid and you get a message on TikTok that you can, you know, potentially try out for the galaxy, you're going to get excited. So um, that that's like kind of IP adjacent, but it is a misuse of our marks to for for a bad act. And so we've we've um, dive we've dived into some investigations on on that side as well. So those are there. It take, takes all flavors, but it's it's usually uh, and it's just sort of a, a misuse of our marks for for an association to make money. No, well, thanks, Kate. Uh, some good examples. Um, and then Brandon, what what's been your sort of experience with that? sort of dealing with this externally? Have you had sort of similar issues? You mentioned early on people wearing all these, uh, you know, inter-Miami jerseys and the team hadn't even been there yet. Uh, what have you sort of seen in that space? And and obviously there's, there's somewhat of a balance too, right? Because as Kate mentioned, the publicity can be good, but then on the other hand, you kind of have to defend your, defend your ground too, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit tricky. The MLS, given the single entity structure that it is, um, actually owns all all the team IP. So if if there's an issue like uh, you know a local brewery misusing marks or things like that, um, we would send it over actually uh, to the league, which was different. You know, with the Dolphins, uh, we we do some of our own enforcement as opposed to just kind of flagging the issues for the league. Um, so so again, at the Dolphins and Hard Rock, there was more of the, the C and D. Uh, stuff for you know you know even just like a work truck right if a work truck has your you know your pest control you know logo on it but then you stick a, a giant dolphins or enter miami magnet you know depending on the way you do it and and generally you'll know you'll know the you'll know when you see it uh, there's a difference between having a bumper sticker and having a giant magnet right next to uh one of your logos that that makes you look official or that you have some sort of partnership so we'll deal with things like that i think um, we haven't, I guess, you know, we haven't had too much issue just since I've been here uh, as far as the, uh, 
the the merch the, you know merch being just counterfeit um but uh but i think uh, it, it just will come with the territory i'm sure over time right and then brandon like on a day-to-day basis what would you say like you're mostly dealing with being sort of in-house counsel for uh for for, for a professional team i mean is it does it kind of range or you kind of have like a a standard sort of like uh, a day? No such thing as a standard day in house <laughs> council. I think, I think all of my colleagues that are in house could, could agree to that. Um, you come in with a list of five things to do and not get any of them done and have a list of 10 things that uh, by the end of the day. But, uh, but no, I think, you know, most of the work is, is transactional in nature of, you know, contracts, sponsorship agreements, vendor agreements, um, you know, I'll do, do immigration, music, music licensing and music rights, some of the stuff that, that Kate had mentioned. So we're not posting uh, videos and GIFs and memes that, uh, or GIFs, if you're on that side of the fence, don't want to offend anybody. Um, uh, you know, with third party content and things like that. But, but I also do some on the soccer side as well, which is, uh, has been, you know, an interesting experience uh, coming from the football world where it's, you know, a very small group of, of developed players from the NCAA as opposed to soccer, you know, scouts and, and agencies and intermediaries from all over the world um, that you're interested in potentially bringing talent in. So, um, you know, dab- dabbling in, in that world is certainly a, an interesting part of uh, my new role. Oh, that's great. Well, thanks again, Brandon, uh, for being here with us. Uh, and then Freddie, I'll go to you and then we'll all have some, uh, some closing thoughts here. What do you sort of see as maybe some of the, the bigger issues uh, in your role doing compliance in the next, you know, five years? What are some of like the, the big things you see on the horizon? Good, good or bad, you know? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, right now I can tell you that the NCAA is holding a special convention uh, November 15th to discuss a lot of the topics that have been brought up over the past, you know, year, year and a half, specifically name, image, likeness. Um as compliance people, we kind of tend to focus on our the ticky tack things and you know our daily work. Like Brandon said, we come in with a list of five things to do, and by the time we leave, we have ten things on our plate, um, and we're trying to kind of round those off. So, as NCAA has developed, as compliance has developed, there hasn't been a, as much of a need for some of the, I guess, archaic, um, you know more of the monitoring aspects that we've done. Um, So now that's going to be brought to light now in the special convention, and hopefully we can knock some of those things off the list. But I mean, in the near future, we could definitely see the NIL is gonna be big. Um, The transfer portal has definitely been something that has come into uh, great popularity. Uh, I personally work with our graduate program uh, at UCLA that we bring in a lot of grad transfers through. Um, So I know that that has kind of opened the door for a lot of student athletes uh, from all over, um, not only domestic, but international as well. Uh, So that can just, I can see that growing as, as being an area of focus um, but really, I mean, employment, uh, we could, uh, I can go down the list, you know, amateurism, the whole amateurism aspect that, you know, we love to kind of beat down to the ground and hold as kind of our pillar that we stand on as NCAA compliance people. Uh, I can see that also being addressed and, and um, you know, possibly getting a new definition, you know, especially now with the ability for student athletes to go ahead and profit off their their NIL. So uh, there's a there's a gamut of things that I could go on and on about, but those are probably just a quick three. Oh, well, thanks, Freddie. Uh, and thank, you know, all, all three or all four of you three folks for being here, Kate, Ryan, Freddie, uh, Brandon. Um, yeah, you, all four have just been fantastic. So thank you again. And uh, what we're sort of doing these last few minutes here, I want to get you guys out of here by uh, by seven. Maybe Kate with you, maybe some words of wisdom for uh, for the folks here about, you know, how to break into sports and maybe some things you've learned along the way and all and then same question to, to everybody else. Sure. I, I think, you know, my advice is simple. It probably seems cliche, but it, it really has proven to be true for me. And that uh, one is don't give up. I I definitely once I had this dream of being in sports and realized it was something I could do, it definitely was not a straight path for me. Um and, and one that took longer than I anticipated. And, and so just to, to not give up and make things happen for yourself. And, and I think that's, um, 
that's even true for me here at AEG, the professional goals that I have while I'm still in sports, you know, you have to, you have to fight for what you want and you have to stay the course. Um, and then I think that the other piece of advice is, is work hard, be nice, you know, focus on being the best you can at, at your chosen path and maintain relationships. Do not burn bridges. This industry is very small. Uh, you see a lot of the same people and people remember. And so I, you know, definitely invest in those relationships, however that works for you. And, and I think that will, that will prove to be true for you. Certainly every opportunity I've had in my career um, has been based on largely a relationship coming back to, to sort of bear fruit. So um, I think that that's, that's a real skill. Thanks, Kate. You've always been a plus in my book. I'll tell you. <laughs> Thanks man. appreciate it. <laughs> and good to see you. Um, and then, all right. So Ryan, what, uh, and you got some words of wisdom for us. Um, I think just, uh, I think one of the thoughts I would share is um, maybe don't see things so linear all the time. Like you might be in some location in your career and like, you're like, okay, where is this going? And then you're like, wait, how did I end up here? And you see things in retrospect and you understand it. Um, I mean, I started more in music and not in tech. And then all of a sudden doing a lot more tech stuff and working in more tech cases and media has kind of merged with more tech um, as of late. Media used to be more like, you know, TV, like CBS, you go and turn on the TV. Now media is very much wedded to technology. Uh, in fact, a lot of cases are inseparable and we wouldn't have seen that 10, 15, 20 years ago. So I think that's the thing I'd share is like, you know, see how the cookie trail kind of goes and you might be in one cookie area and say, hey, I'm over here now, and you might have like a different cookie, but they're linked up and you might not see it right away, so. I love it. Eat, so eat more cookies. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's not a bad idea. They are good, but. I love it, I love it. No, good advice, Ryan, thank you. All right, Freddie, any words of wisdom for us? Uh, I just have to echo what both Kate and Ryan said, you know, don't burn bridges and definitely think outside of the box don't 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 stick yourself into a peg and and you know see other opportunities out there take advantage of other opportunities uh because like you said you never know where you're going to be i started off in nonprofit, didn't think i was going to go to law school and didn't absolutely did not think i was going to be on the staff at ucla so um definitely just you know do what you can and, and actually absorb just absorb everything that you can because you know, you may not think that down the road, you're going to remember, you know, this panel that we have here, or, you know, one of the classes that you have, uh, you know, in uh, Jeremy's class, but, you know, it might show up down the line somewhere. So definitely take it all in. Thanks, Freddie. Go Bruins. Okay. Uh, let's see. <laughs> hey, we love the Tigers too, Brandon. Don't worry, man. Yeah. How can I follow that? Him and his sissy blue shirt, you know? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, man. Um, so no. So, yeah, I, I think I think I think we kind of um, hit the nail on the head with 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 everybody ahead of me. I think to Kate's point, you know, I think it's not just the people you work with. Uh, and to Ryan's point, it's 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 sometimes the people you work against who you can really build uh, a rapport with because this industry is so small and there really are just so few jobs uh, really in the sports law world. That, uh, to, that when things come up, a lot of times jobs aren't even posted. People reach out to their closest colleagues that they trust and say, hey, do you have someone, this is what I'm looking for, because if they post it, they're going to get 10,000 applicants in a day, and then they just don't have the time or, or the bandwidth to go through that. So if they can get those, those good recommendations from close colleagues that they trust, you know, you're already on the short list just by building strong relationships, uh, you know, doing, doing uh, you know, social interactions and building your network, going to, uh, you know, what, whether in person or virtual conferences and, and, and different lectures and, and just really building your network and, and, and letting people know who you are. Uh, and then just generally being a good person and a nice person. Um, because if you're a jerk, uh, even for yourself, if, if one of your colleagues goes to another job, and if you're a good lawyer or a good employee in any role, if, if you're not someone that's pleasant to work with, they're not going to recommend you or bring you over. So uh, whether it's in sales and legal and anything. So um, be nice. Uh, you can be, you can be stern, you can be tough. You can be, you know, uh, but, but honestly, just be kind, be nice, be, 
empathetic and understand everyone's uh, everyone's human and, and you know just trying to connect with people. I think really gets you a long way in this industry. Oh, thanks, Brandon. So, Brandon, Kate, Ryan, Freddie, thanks again for being here. All right, everybody, thank you again for listening in to this uh, wonderful show today. I look forward to being back with you next week. Uh, I am your host, Jeremy Evans of the Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe Podcast Network. And again, look forward to being back with you next week. This show has been brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you and have a wonderful holiday season. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube